Matthew. Uh, you can also find it in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you can find a snippet of it in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to be looking at these, why Jesus went through them, what we can learn from it, uh, how it applies to our life today. Um, today we're really going to be focusing on the, the thought of temptations. Uh, what are they? Why do they come? And what should we learn in every single temptation we go through? The word temptation, if you're looking it up in the dictionary or on the World Wide Web, you would see the definition as the temptation is something that lures, attracts, pulls, and seduces an individual to do something. Uh, in the context of the Bible, a temptation is something that lures, entices us, uh, pulls us away from the presence of God, pulls us from living out the will of God in our life, the kingdom of God in our life, uh, pulls us from being in His presence. And uh, all of us face temptations one way or another. Some of them are going to look different for some people than others, but we all do it. Uh, this last week, I had the joy of spending uh, quite a bit of time with my family, which is abnormal. We don't normally get to get together too often. Uh, my brother's a preacher, my dad's preaching now, and it's just really tough. Weekends are tough, but Memorial Day weekend, my brother and his family came down, my parents came down, and uh, my, part of my brother's family stayed with us. Sunday night and Monday night, and so Monday we headed down to the great land of Branson and into the world of Silver Dollar City. Uh, it was a good time. Uh, I was kind of hesitant at first because it was Memorial Day and didn't know what the crowds would be like. It wasn't too bad, but um, as we were going through the park, it was a good time to get the cousins together and let them ride rides and hang out, and some of us adults wanted to ride some rides too, and, and so we were all there, the whole Hurchin platoon. And if you're familiar with Silver Dollar City, um, there's a certain ride there. I don't exactly know what it's called. I call it the Huck Finn ride or Tom Sawyer ride, but it's basically this boat. And on this boat, you ride around in this little, their kind of river, and you have a water gun where you're just constantly doing this, and it's shooting water at people on the shore, and they're shooting water back, and you just, you're going and going. Well, me and Jamie and my mom and my brother and niece and nephew, oldest niece and nephew, decided we were going to sit this one out, let Papa just go ahead and take all the little ones. And my brother's wife went on with them. And so they got on a boat and went around. We just kind of sat on the sideline and waited uh, for them to come by. Well, as we're talking, uh, we're, we're far enough out of the, the spray zone uh, where we could talk and have to worry about getting wet. And as we're talking, my brother and my attention got diverted to this little walkway that goes out in the midst of this ride and people could squirt. And there was a boy there, about two or three years old, who decided he wanted to partake in the squirting. But he didn't have a gun. He had dropped his pants and his underwear. And we were in a, in a perfect spot where everything was censored because there was a pole. And so we didn't see, but I, I could clearly see um, water coming from a certain direction, and my brother and I, our jaws just dropped. And he, he got a boat, um, <laughs> and that boat went around, and then another boat come, came, and he had run out of water, but he was still trying. And it was at that point in time, because, you know, these boats don't move very fast, my brother and I were just thinking, where are the parents? And when is the parent going to show up? And eventually a, a uh, father did show up. But something that enticed that little boy uh, tempted him to take part in something you uh, wanted to take part in, but maybe shouldn't have done it in that particular way. Um, you may not be tempted to go pee at a theme park on a water ride. 
But you may be tempted to do other things at theme parks that do not glorify God. Uh, for example, while we were pulling into this theme park, it was quite crowded um, as we were driving in. And I was uh, not led by the spirit of graciousness as cars began cutting in front of me. And as we go into a bluegrass festival singing bluegrass music, praise be to God, it was amazing how many horns were honked and how many people were doing this um, as we were getting ready to go into praise Jesus. Um, you may not be tempted in certain ways that I'm tempted. I may not be tempted in certain ways you're tempted. Um, but one thing we can be sure of is we're going to be tempted. Um, as my, my dad and, more importantly, my brother's wife got off the ride and came to give him a hug and you're ready to give him a kiss, I stopped it and said, did you need water in your mouth? Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but they come in all shapes and sizes. Not one size is going to fit every single individual um, like I said, you're going to be tempted by something that I may not, and I'm going to be tempted by something you may not be tempted, but we will be tempted. And so we're going to be going through this series to look at the temptations that Christ went through and see how we can relate to them. Um, like I said, they're found in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be there in a second. Gospel of Luke as well, both in chapter 4 um, and also in the Gospel of Mark. When you look at the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, who give us the more detailed uh, part of the temptations, you're going to notice that the order is not the same. Uh, Matthew begins by talking about turning stones to bread. He then uh, talks about the temptation of throwing Jesus, throwing himself off the temple and the angels coming to rescue and finally bowing down to Satan. Luke switches it up a little bit where Luke has the stones to bread and then the bowing down to Satan and then the throwing off the temple. What we can learn from that is both of them were directed by the Spirit to give us temptations. And what we can learn, maybe not necessarily the why, but that temptations do not become harder the closer you get to being done. Okay? If the order of temptations are allowed to be interchanged, it's not to imply that, you know, once you go through this and this one's going to come, once you go through this and this one's going to come. It's not like a, a reality show, game show, where, you know, you get closer to the prize and the harder things get. For temptations... The reason they're temptations is because they're all hard. They all entice us. They all pull us away. They all begin to drive our, our inner being and our sinful nature away from God. And that's why they're a temptation. That's why it doesn't matter the level of temptation or the order of temptation. It's just that they're tempting you for a specific purpose to pull you out of the presence of God. Again, it's found in all three synoptics. Synoptic gospels mean they take a common view. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to combine all four of them, or all three of them. But you can read along in verses 1 and 2, uh, or verses 1 through 3, as that's where we're going to be focusing on this morning in chapter 4 of Matthew. So then immediately, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led, meaning he was, he was driven into the wilderness away from the Jordan River. So he might be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He, being Jesus, was in the midst of the wild animals there. And as, as it was the wilderness, and at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and then the tempter came. Let's pray together. But I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises of your word that it is driven by your spirit. It is spoken from your mouth, and it does not come back void. That your word goes into our deepest parts. That it... it dissects us. It, it, it penetrates those places where we may have tried to put a wall up for you not to get to. Father, as we open your word, I ask you just bless us with your spirit to give us understanding as you did to your disciples. 
that you speak to our hearts and you meet us in the places where we are and take us to where you need us to be. Father, I thank you that your son came to endure these temptations. I thank you that he, he lived a life that we could not so that he could die for our sins and rise again. And Lord, I pray in this time as we open your word that you speak to each and every individual. And for those who are here who may not know you as the Lord and Savior, Lord, that you would reveal that to them. You would draw them to your presence, that they would become so aware of how much you love them and what you did for us all. Father, I pray that this be the day of their salvation. For some of us here, Father, that have been walking with you, reveal to us what we need to take from your passage, from your word, that we might be the people you need us to be in this world. Father, we give this time to you. I ask that you just help us to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we lay ourselves before you so we can love the people you've put in our life the way you command us to. Lord, forgive us if our worship has not been pleasing to you. Forgive us if we have not worshipped you in spirit and truth. Forgive us if we have not been a living sacrifice. Lord, in this time, this place changes. Let everything that comes out of my mouth be pleasing to you. Let everything upon our hearts in this place be pleasing to you. If I let your spirit just have its way with us. I thank you for what's going to happen this morning. I praise all in your son's name. Amen. If you look here in Matthew chapter 4, there's some things I want us to pick up. And like I said, we're going to be going through these for the next four weeks. We're going to spend each week looking at each one of the temptations and how they relate, uh, relate to us. Back in verse 1, we were told that Jesus was led up by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. The Gospel of Mark uses a little bit different word. It uses the word drove. It sounds like it means more forceful. But both words in the Greek mean the same thing. What it means is that Jesus was under such a strong impulse. It was irresistible. It was a stirring inside of him that he had to go into the wilderness. Now, obviously, Jesus was doing this because he was completely obedient to the will of God. He was completely obedient to what his father had laid before him for the task ahead. And so he is led out into the wilderness. Another important thing for us to note here is that even though the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, it does not say that God tempted Jesus, just as God does not tempt us. The book of James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. Another important note as we begin to look at these temptations is knowing that God is an all-knowing God. is what we call His omniscience character. It is omniscience. He is an all-knowing God. He knows how everything is going, to, is going to come about. He knows all about your life. Every day of your life is written in His book. And so God knew exactly what Jesus was getting ready to go, go through as He goes into the wilderness. He knew exactly the temptations that would come, and He knew exactly how Jesus would endure and get through these temptations perfectly, unstained by sin. He also knows about the temptations that come in our life. And Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no Scripture comes into our life that we cannot bear, we cannot stand under, because God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond anything we can't handle. Now, some of us, if you're like me, want to say, God, you've got more faith in me than I do. But the reality is, is God allows temptations to come. He allows trials to come, all for a matter of testing our faith. If you look there in Gospel of Matthew, if you jump back into chapter 3, 
Back in starting in verse 13 and running through verse 17, you see an event in Jesus' life known as the baptism of Jesus. And in that event, Jesus went to the Jordan River to meet our favorite Baptist, John, and he was baptized. And when he came out of the water, you may know what God said as he spoke from the heavens, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It is immediately after that event in all three gospels that Jesus is then led or drove into the wilderness. And there's something we should take from that. The reality is, is we do not get to stay on the mountain. Some of us have had incredible experiences with God, incredible revelations, those moments where you've been in worship or at conferences or at camp, and you've just felt the presence of God and God speaking to your heart, and you're in that moment, you're like, I just don't want to leave. I want to stay here forever. But nowhere in Scripture do you find God allowing His people, let alone His Son, to stay in that moment. We all have to come down the mountain. We all have to get out of that, that mountaintop experience, that place where we feel the presence of God because God does not call his people to be isolated. He does not call us to step away, step out of this world, but instead to live in this world that we may glorify who he is. When it looks at, okay, okay. When, when we look at scripture, we, we find from the very beginning, beginning in Genesis, going throughout Revelation, that there's no place where God allows his people to stay right there. As our students prepare to go to, student, uh, to, to youth camp here in a couple weeks, when I was in student ministry, one thing I always reminded my kids is we went throughout the week on the very last night, we get together, we have a time of testimony. They share about what God's been telling them or challenges God has placed upon their heart or what they want to do with what they've learned as they head back home. And as we went through all the testimonies, one thing I had to remind them is tomorrow we are in fact going home. Now, they knew it, just like you know that we can't always remain right in that place at that conference or in that worship experience or that full presence of God. They knew we were going home, but the reality is when we go home, every problem, every issue that they maybe left to get away from as they went to camp, every, every relationship, every friendship they had that they knew was not pleasing to God, it's still there. It is right there. And when they get back, one thing is going to happen. All this stuff that happened at camp, all this growing closer to God, all this stuff is going to be tested. It is going to be tried whether or not you're truly going to live out this truth that you've been given or you're just going to fly on emotion. That's why we have to go into the wilderness sometimes. We get these moments with God where God reveals something. He strengthens our faith. He makes us more, more on fire for him. And then he says, all right, now go live it. That's part of coming down the mountain is now take what you know, take this fire inside of you and take it into the world where it's going to be tested, it's going to be tried, and you're going to be tempted not to live it out. If you go back into the book of Genesis, we find Abraham. Man, he had some incredible visitors one evening. Some angels and the Lord shows up and he decides to have dinner with God. How awesome would that be? And God reveals to Abraham in that moment, hey, Abraham, I got a great plan for your life, not only for your life, but your family's life. You're going to be a father of nations. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And I will be your God and they will be my people. You see the stars in the sky, Abraham? This is before he had kids, by the way. Your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. As numerous as the sand on the shore. Can you imagine you're sitting there like, wow, this is awesome. These, these are promises from God and things are going to happen. You know what happened the very next day? Abraham wakes up, 
He looks down at a promise that God also gave him, the destruction of the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. The reality is that sin, even though God's promises were evident and they were coming, sin was also there. You look at Joseph. Man, he had visions. God gave him visions and dreams. His daddy loved him, gave him a nice coat. Brothers hated him. So in the midst of getting these visions, revelations, and being so excited about what God has revealed to him, he goes through persecution. He had to come down the mountain. You go to Moses in the book of Exodus. You know, burning bush, plagues, Red Sea, water from rock. He goes up Mount Sinai for 40 days. The presence of God has engulfed the mountain. The people, the Israelites, are on the, face of the, or the foot of the mountain, and they look up, and they're in fear. They're in awe and reverence of God. Seven weeks ago, they were in captivity, and now they're God's people. They're set free. And Moses is up there for 40 days in the full presence of God and all his glory and all his holiness, and he comes down the mountain after 40 days, and Joshua says, what is that sound? It sounds like war is in the camp. Moses comes down from the mountain to find that the people of God had turned to idolatry. We have to come down the mountain. Look at Joshua. Joshua given the commission by God, be strong and courageous. Keep to my word. Keep to my law. I'll be with you as I was with Moses. And Joshua continually had to deal with God's people resisting God's ways. You turn to the, the New Testament. The disciples get to go up the mountain with Jesus and he's transfigured before them and Peter's like, this is awesome. This is the most incredible worship experience ever. Jesus, we should set up camp. We should build an altar for each one of you, Moses and Elijah and, and you, and we should just stay here. This is so good for us to be here. And Jesus had to remind them that though they had this incredible experience, they weren't to share it with anyone because what lay before was the cross. He had to come down the mountain. Paul had an incredible Damascus experience. He heard the voice of God. He, he was blinded by the light of Christ. He, he's called to take the gospel to the Gentile world, and so he, he, he answers that call. What's the very next thing we find in the book of Acts dealing with Paul? He's persecuted. They have to sneak him out of a city. See, the reality is, and I, I know we know it because we've all experienced it. But we have those moments with God that is so real. It is so evident. We know exactly what he's saying, what he wants us to do. We, we are just on passion. is just flowing out of us. We're ignited inside. The reality is, is you're going to come down to life. And life is ugly. And life calls us to either trust God and continue in our faith with God or to be tempted to do something ungodly. And that's life. Jesus just heard his daddy say, that a boy. That's my son. I'm so pleased with him. The next thing, Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's led by God to the wilderness to be tempted. 40 days and 40 nights. I first read that in Scripture, man. I was skeptic. 40, you, I was always told you couldn't go like three days without water, right? 40 days and 40 nights. He, he fasted. It was a complete fast. It was a continuous fast. And then I thought, well, it's Jesus. He is the Son of God. If anybody can do it, he can do it. But this is definitely one point in time I do not want to be like Jesus, right? 
40 days and 40 nights. But then a very important thing that Luke points out and Matthew points out, if you look there at the end of verse 2 in Matthew, it says, he was hungry. And that could be something we read over so quickly, but it's making a very strong theological statement that we need to understand about Jesus. He was 100% God. That's what made him the son of God. And he was 100% man. He was hungry. His human nature was beginning to reveal itself. And it was at this point in time where Satan or the devil comes and to bring the temptations. Now, 40 days and 40 nights without eating, without drinking, that would have been tempting in itself just to quit. But at this point in time, it is almost amped up. The devil is right in his face. And he's calling to question everything about him. And we'll get into that the next several weeks. But Jesus was hungry. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we do not have a high priest that is unable to sympathize or relate to our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every way just as we are. And this sets up the temptation that Jesus came and he had to endure these things so that he could sympathize with us. So we didn't have a God that was just kind of, you know, robotic God, but he understood everything we would go through, every temptation we would have to endure, and he understood it personally. Our Lord and Savior was hungry. Our Lord and Savior got tired. Our Lord and Savior got thirsty. Our Lord and Savior felt compassion and he wept. He felt for the people he ministered to. He knew their heart. I mean, how tired do you have to be to fall asleep on a boat that's being tossed by a storm and sleep through it? He was 100% God and 100% man, but there's also reality. It was when he was hungry that the tempter or Satan, the devil, came. The word tempter here in Matthew comes from the Greek New Testament, uh, New Testament Greek. The word devil comes from Old Testament Hebrew, which is what Luke uses. And it's implied the same thing. It, it means slanderer or accuser. It means one who, who attempts to bring destruction. And at the point in time where both gospels say that he was hungry, then the tempter, then he approached him. See, Satan knew who Jesus was. He knew this was God in the flesh, and he knew he had no power or authority over him. He knew he could not stand up to the full power of God, but when Jesus was seemed to be at a frail human point, that's when Satan shows up. See, there's a lot of strange thoughts about Satan. He's a big, bad, nasty guy, and you know, he's always got horns and pitchforks and fires and all that stuff. And he is a nasty guy. But the Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He masquerades as something beautiful. There's also a misconception that Satan is all-knowing. Satan is not God. He's not equal to God. He's not you know, like God's arch nemesis. Satan was an angel cast out of the heavens. He is a created being. He doesn't know everything about you, but he does figure out what makes you tick. He does figure out how to entice you and pull you and lure you. Well, Satan shows up when the Son of God, God in the flesh, is hungry, which is obvious. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But we need to understand that Satan does not have the confidence to take on God or God's people when they're empowered by the Spirit of God unless he spots a weakness. We also need to understand that Satan does not and will not play fair. 
His whole goal on your life and my life is to kill it, to steal it, and destroy it. Now, if you're a child of God, He can't kill you physically, but He can kill your joy. He can kill your peace. He can kill your self-control, your patience, your kindness, your love. He can steal those things from you. He can destroy those things. He can allow bitterness to brew up in your life. That's what Satan is tempting. He's trying to lure you. I, find, I also find it interesting that who did Jesus call to follow him initially? Fishermen. To do what? Fish for men. So we have this image in Scripture right off the bat in Matthew of these, these two things happening. We have God wanting to pull us and lure us to himself. And Satan, at the same time, trying to pull us and lure us away from it. And this is the battle we are going to face every single day of our life in which direction we're going to go. But Satan isn't going to show up and play nice. He's going to, he's going to be really mean about it. Say he was hungry and then the tempter approached and he begins by asking a series of, of questions or a series of statements, which, like I said, we're going to dive into the next few weeks. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to come to the reality that we are not immune to temptations. Everybody in this room, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, is tempted every single day, every single moment. Some of you are being tempted right here in this time right now. You're tempted to allow your mind to stray, your heart to stray. You're being enticed. You're being lured. If Jesus Christ is tempted, we are going to be tempted. Jesus said we are not greater than the Master. We also have the promise that Jesus overcame. He, he did not fall into temptations. This is an important thing to notice as we go through this. If Jesus would have fallen into temptations, he could not have been our Savior. He would not have been the perfect toning sacrifice. We could not be forgiven for our sins by our faith in him. We should be pitied, as Paul says. But because Jesus would endure, that's why we place our faith in him, because he was perfect. He did not fall to temptations. He did not sin. There's a couple things I want us to take this morning to learn about temptations before we dive into the next three, the next couple weeks. First thing is what temptations do. They provide a humbling effect. Think about temptations that you have fallen into. Think about things that you are currently wrestling with. Things that you know that you're not proud of. Things that you know that uh, you hope maybe some people don't find out. You definitely don't want to have a time where the preacher calls for everyone to have a moment of confession. Um, you don't want that to be out there. Those moments when you have fallen into temptation, what happens is the book of James tells us temptations come and being tempted is not the sin. It's being enticed by the sin are enticed by the temptation to give birth to sin, which then gives birth to death. That's James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So when temptations come, and, and all of us today, we're going to fall to temptation. We come to church, and we hear God's word, and we worship God, but all of us today are going to fall to temptation. Some of us are going to be tempted tonight to smack some kids, okay? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. But we're going to be tempted. And when we are tempted and we fall in or enticed to that temptation, we give birth to sin, which gives birth to death. It is to create a humbling effect. 
And what I mean by that is the reality that I'm still wrestling with sin. I'm still wrestling with my sinful nature. Yes, I'm forgiven for all my sins, but I'm still dealing with that. And so what do I do with that is I come to the foot of the cross and I repent. And I confess to God, or maybe I need to confess to someone else a sin I've done to them. And I confess and I repent and I kneel at the foot of the cross because I am so in need of Jesus Christ. The danger we have in church today is people have been in church their entire life and they forget they still need Jesus today. They think they've got it all figured out. They think they know all about the Bible stories. They know about the cross. They know about Easter and Christmas. And they've got it all figured out. They can sing every stanza to Amazing Grace and Victory in Jesus. And they can do all the stuff you're supposed to do at church. And they forget the most important thing is we need Jesus every single day. Every moment. And when you start thinking that you can do it yourself, you'll fall miserably on your face. You need Jesus, I need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And when sin comes in my life and I do things, man, I shouldn't have done that. It reminds me how much I need Jesus. And that humbling effect should go from repentance and confession to a time of gratitude and worship. I think that's why worship is missing in so many churches today. Because we think we've got it all figured out. We think we're actually doing all right. And we forget we need Jesus. And without him, I'd be lost. I wouldn't be forgiven. So we come to this place in the presence of a holy God with all this junk we had going on in our life this week. And sometimes we just march in and act like we belong here. Throughout is we should march in with a broken heart and a humble spirit and lay it down before the Father and just confess to Him. The second thing that we can learn from temptations is they reveal who or what we are truly trusting in. All of us, like I said, we're going to come down the mountain. And when we come down the mountain, we come into the reality of life and things start to get a little hard and they begin to make us... I'm not talking when you are just completely down in the dumps. I've seen atheists cry out to God when they're completely broken. I'm talking about that moment where living by faith gets mm, just a little uncomfortable on this side of eternity. And in that moment where we begin wiggling and, oh, God, we really got to trust God, the reality is that's when the temptation comes because... Sometimes what God calls us to do is harder than what we are capable of doing on our own. But God empowers us. He strengthens us. His word promises that. But it's in those moments that we get tempted, okay, I'm going to figure it out for myself. And so for some of us, we get the temptation, I'm going to follow God and do what God wants, but then things like uh, money comes up. And so we begin turning to money or how to handle money. Things like shopping comes up or going out. And I'm not against vacations. I love vacation. But we turn to those things for our release. We turn to those things for our peace and our joy. We turn to, to food. We turn to family. We, we begin raising those things up. And we begin relying upon those to fill us in ways that only God can fill us. And so those temptations bring reality that I have been turning to something other than God and I've been trusting in that and relying upon that to give me that, that, that sense of wholeness that only God can give me. We all do it. But like I said, you may not be tempted 
the way I am, and I may not be tempted in the way you are, but I guarantee you there's something in your life that when times get tough, that's what you're turning to. What is it? Have you ever stopped to ponder, why am I trusting in this thing and not in God? Maybe God's told you something very specific. This is what you should be doing. Told you very specifically, this is what you should stop doing. You think Satan's just going to let you do it? No. Satan doesn't want you or I to be in the presence of God and be on fire for him. So he's going to try to entice and pull and cut that off any way possible. And a lot of times, for us, it's the easy way. This is just easier. It's just for this moment. But when we look in Scripture, we find we're all going to be tempted but there's a promise as children of God. In Psalm chapter 23, verse 4, the psalmist wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. James says that temptations entice us to sin, and sin gives forth or brings forth or births death. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort. As a child of God, we have this promise that God will never leave us or forsake us and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even in the midst of our sinful ugliness, He's right there. But if you're not a child of God, the reality is is that you go through these things alone. You've got no protector. You've got no defender. You've got no wall. And Satan is just having his way with you that's not what God wants for your life. God has brought you to this place to introduce you to a relationship with Him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all of us have sinned. What does that mean? All of us are tempted. All of us have fallen into temptation. All of us have sinned. All of us have got things in our life that should humble us and move us to a place of worship for what God has already done for us. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. His holiness is perfection. The Bible tells in Romans 6.23 that the wages are the cost of that sin in our life. The cost of falling temptation is death. It is a complete eternal separation from the God who loves you. And we, we want to rationalize our temptations and our sins. Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not as bad as that person. But all sin is sin before a holy God and all of it leads to death. It is slowly killing us. We are all plagued with sin. We are all going to die. That's the reality. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift is that God sees you in your sin, knows the temptations you continue to fall to, and yet He still loves you. He's still for you. And He still wants you. No one else may want you, but God wants you. The Bible says that God loves you so much He sent His only Son, that's Jesus to die for your and my sins on a cross. They placed him in the tomb, but he came out. He overcame so that we could overcome whatever temptations come our way. And it's by our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So you can't be good enough. It's not about, you know, I don't sin as bad as that person, or I'm, I'm doing better than the other person. It's about, do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? 
And if you do have Jesus, how are you living in that relationship? Are you feeling like you're going the way God wants you to go, or are you going the way Satan wants you to go? But if you don't have Jesus today, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God sent His Son, He died and rose again, if we believe that in our heart, we need to confess it. It's to publicly declare it with our mouth. Then the Bible says we will be saved. Is that where you are this morning? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is He the one you're continuing to turn to? Maybe you're here this morning and the Spirit, I know the Spirit of God works in wonders in ways I can't figure out. But I believe the Spirit of God has revealed to many of us here this morning there's things we've been turning to that has not been of God. And we need to repent before the Father. But if you're here this morning and you need Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you need someone who's already fought these battles, these temptations for you, I want to lead you in a prayer. If everyone just bow your head and close your eyes. If that's you this morning and you need Jesus, here's what I want you to, to pray. And this isn't a magic prayer. I just want to guide you in it. Father, I am a sinner. Thank you for loving me and sending your son to die for my sins. Thank you that he rose again that I may be forgiven. Father, I believe that in my heart and I'm asking you to be Lord and Savior of my life. If you've prayed that prayer but have never made it known, I'm going to ask as we come this time of invitation, you just come forward and let it be known. Declare it today. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been following Jesus and there's a step you need to do in, in following Jesus and being baptized. Maybe that's something you need to be made known this morning as well. Maybe you're here this morning and God has revealed to you there are things in your life that have not been holy and pleasing to God. And you've been falling and running to temptations more than you've been running to the God who loves you and has His best for you. And those are things you need to just come and kneel before the Father and repent and hand that over to Him and ask for Him to strengthen you. Our God is faithful. However God has spoken to your heart, we're going to sing this invitation and I'm going to invite you to respond. Let's stand as we sing.